Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. Hi. Lovely to meet you, Lindy. Yeah, lovely to meet you as well. You are Jesse, right? It's, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Because I haven't seen your face yet. <laughs> and also, like, ask me anything, open book. So we'll see. We'll see where we go. Cool, cool. So would you be able to provide a little background information about yourself and maybe talk about some things that you do to stay well? Yeah. So my name is Lindy Cohen. I'm a dietitian. I'm a nutritionist. And uh, growing up, I really struggled with my weight, my body, and an eating disorder. And it's very much the reason why I do what I do now. I help people. I help, I work in eating disorder prevention. I work in eating disorder management. I help people go to bed at night liking who they are and not being controlled by how many reps they did at the gym or how many calories they consumed. And I think a really important part of something that I do that keeps me feeling well is that I don't use weight to measure my success, to measure my sense of worth, to uh, to measure my health. And it's something that I used to do for many years. The number on the scale would very much dictate how I felt about myself. And it's probably the thing I'm, I'm so proud of is this idea of how little my weight impacts on my sense of self. Good because it can definitely be all consuming and it's so common how many people are consumed by the weight, the number as a determinant of value in who they are. Totally. And I think I always thought that there was something wrong with me. I think I thought if I had better willpower, if I had better self-control, I could stick to it. I I felt like I'd look at everyone else around me and I'm like, they, they seem to be in control around food. They seem to like be at the, the weight that they want to be. And I felt that there was something fundamentally flawed about me until I realized that just how common disordered eating and hating our body is, sadly, research pegs it at around 80% of women have some degree of disordered eating and 10% of those have an eating disorder. So our body is very much programmed to physiologically and psychologically react to things like food restriction. And that includes physical restriction of food, but it also includes emotional restriction of food. When you tell yourself, I shouldn't have eaten that. I'm going to try to be good tomorrow, regardless of whether or not you actually physically restrict. And I think we've got this protective mechanism in our bodies to try and help us from self-sabotaging from prevent us from self-starving ourselves and, I actually think it's a really normal, common response and we're grateful for our bodies that it can, it can at times help us from prevent us from self-destructing. And it definitely is growing a lot in the area of men as well. Like a lot more people with social media are more likely to engage in disordered eating or just disordered thoughts in general. Yeah. And it's become, it has become really commonplace. And I, I feel like we live in a society that's, 
it's it's more socially acceptable almost to have disordered eating than it is to exist in a larger body it's like where we have we're being sold weight loss advice that is really eating disorder advice in disguise and I think it's really quite damaging and scary that you know advice to like fast intermittently that's just glorified starvation really or detoxing that's socially acceptable I don't know what that is that's but I, I don't even understand how we've gotten to this point that the health world has become so unhealthy so deeply unhealthy and it's endorsing such deeply disordered behaviors and we're all thinking it's normal or at least we have up until this point but it's still mainstream it's still what gets reported in our you know magazines and social media and and I guess the hard thing at the moment is we have they're paying lip service to like love your body on one page and the next page is like, yeah, but lose weight on this page. <laughs> or it's not even, you know, it's, it's perhaps not even as obvious as lose weight because they've realized that dieting is out of fashion and we, we've wised up to it. So now what they're trying to do is diet culture comes in all kinds of sneaky little packages. So they might say this gut health protocol will help you or balance your hormones and they'll kind of, apply this random kind of philosophy, but the advice they're giving is still the same. Restrict, under-eat, over-exercise, do all these things, and we're going to justify it and call it health when really what it is is, is disordered eating. And like you're saying, if so many people experience disordered eating, but then they're proposing like intermittent fasting or things, there really needs to be a warning for people who, if they have disordered thoughts or behaviors, it can definitely be used as a disordered thought or an excuse to be like, oh, I'm intermittent fasting. Like I've heard people like go, oh, I'm out with my friend, but she's going to skip a meal because she's intermittent fasting. Like she's not eating with us, but it's acceptable, but it's kind of like, has she eaten at all today? Like, does she experience disordered eating? Well, I think if you are skipping meals like that, that certainly yeah. is kind of disordered yeah. eating. I was sent to my first nutritionist when I was 11 and for no reason other than I wasn't thin. I was within my healthy weight range for my BMI, but the advice was I needed to be thin. That's what everything around me was telling me. And so I was dished out a meal plan, which I was, I was promised wasn't a diet. I was so, I was told this is a healthy balanced eating approach. That was the marketing spin, but it was 100% a diet. I weighed out my food. I was told what to eat, when to eat it, to calorie count. At 11 years old, this was what was happening. And so began a very long disordered relationship with food. And at no point in that consultation did she say, hey, people who diet are statistically more likely to have an eating disorder, more likely to have body image struggles, more likely to struggle with their weight throughout their lives. Um, and by the time I was 21, I was deeply overcome with binge eating disorder to the point where I was, I was so ashamed about it because I thought, as I said, I thought it was there's something wrong with me. I didn't realize that binging is a very normal, natural response to feeling restricted and controlled around food. But I just wonder, and I, I've, I've written this new book, Your Weight Is Not The Problem. And I think a really key part of that is I want to put out that warning to people. I want people to know before they start going on diets that it has, it comes with all these side effects and it, it, it the very thing it's promising you, which is weight loss, it, it actually has the very opposite effects. It most likely leads to weight gain, uh, increased cravings for the very things that you're trying to avoid, food obsession, body image issues, eating disorders. And even if you've been dieting for 10 years or decades, I have people who are 70 years old who are saying, is it too late for me to create a healthy relationship with food? It's never too late. 
um, I feel like for generations we've been passing down disordered eating from our mothers to our daughters and so forth. And I feel like if you're a mum, if you're a grandma, or if you're you're still the child in the family, there's a perfect time for you to learn. Well, how can I create a healthy relationship with my body and my food? Because it does it influences ourselves and it also influences those around us. And that's so upsetting. Like that's like I'm really sorry that a professional told you at 11 years old that you needed to go on a diet or count calories or anything like that because no 11 year old who's thinking negatively about their body or anything needs to go on a diet like you just you never do that that's like never acceptable yeah and even a 50 year old never needs to be put on a diet and told that they need to count calories and but it's it's especially awful that as an 11 year old that that was socially acceptable and I have so many friends who did you know weight watches and whatnot and, and went from very early ages you know so in, in my new book, I talk about this. I have a whole chapter about talking about mums and our relationship with food and that whole intermingle because I think it's very interesting. I remember driving to like a Weight Watchers meeting with my mum and we would talk about food and food and, and weight management was such a bonding topic for us. It was always this way to connect regardless of whatever else was going on. We ran out of topics to talk about. We always knew we had the shared interest in our obsession with food. And it was very socially acceptable. And I know, you know, my, my, my parents were really trying to help me <laughs> around food. And what they were inadvertently doing was saying things that would make it, they'd say things like pull in your stomach or should you really be eating that? Or my brothers would get certain food and I would get certain food. And I think this happens often all the time. I hear from clients who said their parents also try and regulate what they eat, especially for women. It's particularly big issue. And part of what helped me not feel angry about this is firstly realizing our parents were just trying to do the best with the resources that they had. And then I look at, you know, my mom's relationship with her mom and the way that she was taught about food from her mom, she was simply passing down what she had been taught. This is the way we engage and we talk around food and this is okay. And I was the next custodian. And I, I really want this to be for us, anyone listening, we are the last generation that we pass this nonsense down to, that we stop gifting disordered eating down to the next generation like a crappy heirloom tea set that no one actually wants. It's time to finish off this chapter and, and kind of break that negative cycle so we can connect with people in our families. Um, I gave a talk recently where it was to kind of a bit more of like a, a a boomer generation and one of the fathers came up to me afterwards and he had a a 32 year old daughter he said I just don't know what to do I'm really worried about my daughter's weight it's like always been a problem and I've always tried to help her and like encourage her to eat healthily and I said very point blank the the best thing you could do to help your daughter with her relationship with food is to not comment, to not judge her, to allow her to have a space where she doesn't feel judged around whether she goes back for seconds or how much she weighs or what she looks like. When we feel like we have an environment of shame and, you know, like people are judging us, what we call, what I call sometimes food police, it's very hard to eat intuitively. And if you have been a, a dieter, maybe you've recruited people in your family to become your food police. Very often we'll ask a maybe a parent to be like can you help me eat healthily at the moment which is really just code for like don't let me eat too much or a partner and then and then we start getting those kinds of comments and then very often what this leads to is secret eating 
I spoken to a lot of parents who are saying, well, my five-year-old, my eight-year-old has started taking food and, and eating it in private and hiding the wrappers. And I find the empty wrappers and I don't know what to do about it. When we've created a culture of shame and these foods are bad and these foods are good. What we do is we encourage that sense of secret eating. But if you don't feel like certain foods are bad or forbidden or shameful, we don't feel the need to go and eat them off secretly when no one else is looking. So I think we need to change our language around food. We need to change how we're teaching kids around food. It's a whole thing. And this is why I, it requires a whole book for me to go through it in, in my new book that's just out. Definitely needs more, more than a book. Book needs all your resources. It needs daily <laughs> affirmations. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So what about food freedom? How could that maybe help with disordered eating? <sighs> food freedom is everything. It's the, it is the goal. It is... It is really hard to be your best self when every thought keeps coming back to what you weigh or what you eat. Your, your life and your potential is limited. You can't live a full life on an empty stomach. And food freedom is really about being able to be, I guess what I call a unicorn, someone who eats when they're hungry, stops when they're feeling full. They might even be that kind of person who forgot to eat because food is just something that fuels them. It isn't an essential, it's something that brings joy, of course, but it's not something that controls their thoughts. When I was struggling with my eating disorder, food was such an important part of my brain. And I imagine that that section, that region of my brain was really lit up and really, I had some really strong neural pathways that, that had formed in that area. And I think when we think about nowadays of social media, if you're on social media and you're following a lot of food accounts and fitness accounts and health accounts, um, it starts to tell you start to think that is really important. It takes up a lot of your headspace. And I think it used to be that you become like the people you spend the most time with. And nowadays I think it's much more accurate to say you become like the people you follow on social media. So you've got to get curious if 90% of your feed is diet advice, or even if it's recipes, whatever it is, it starts to take over your brain and your headspace and it limits your potential. Whereas food freedom is this idea of being able to eat when you need, but for it not to dictate your life. You're a varied human who has multiple interests, multiple kind of things that you are passionate about. And I think back, if I, all the, that 10 years that I spent chronically dieting, the number of hours each day that I would have dedicated to trying to weigh less, I just wonder what potential I could have reached if I had invested that time learning a language, doing some kind of thing that I was passionate about. My potential would have been so much greater. And I think as long as we keep getting stuck in this loop of loathing ourselves and driving us around food obsession, we really are limiting our potential. So food freedom is about being our best selves, really. Mm, and it's even though there's tools like intuitive eating and mindful eating, food freedom is like genuinely just eating. Like, you know, you go to an event and you're eating what everyone's eating. You go to a birthday party, you go to dinner, you go to breakfast, you go to lunch, like you're just eating. And that's, and it's okay. You don't think about it. You can move on from the eating. And if someone offers you something, you eat it. Like a lot, a lot of people do eat that way as well. You know, you go to like, like I had my like graduation lecture, like ceremony thing, the food's there, everyone's eating the food. Like you just, it's not like someone on Instagram going, is everyone eating just vegetables? 
Amen. Amen. And so it's almost like this nutrition noise, this constant bombardment that these foods are good or these foods are bad. And, 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 you know, and even if it's with the right intentions, being like, okay, well, the strawberry has lots of antioxidants, we should eat more of it. It, it. It's all kind of clouding our judgment. And I feel like we have too much nutrition noise that it's actually making it so much harder. It's getting in the way of something like food freedom, which for me, like the epitome of, of the opposite of food freedom is, is when you have to like, google the menu of a place that you're going to eat because you're not sure you can find a healthy option that is something that you know historically was encouraged as nutrition advice but nowadays it just it's it's so clearly disordered in its nature um or or you know when i've had journalists ask me to write an article how can people eat healthily at christmas lunch i'm like it's christmas lunch you just eat whatever you want. That's it's Christmas lunch. And or, or like, you know, I've had um, segment ideas where it's like, well, how can I, you know, it, for TV where they're like, well, can you help us find the healthiest Christmas pudding or the healthiest ice block? And I think it's, it's really, <laughs> this, is a, this is a silly segment. And fundamentally, I think this is important. I will say back to the producer, this is not useful. This is not health this is how about this angle or our pitch and we can do it like this and they'll say no we really had our heart set on doing this this segment and so that segment goes to air regardless they find someone else who is willing to put that out there and this is how the health media is also perpetuating the problem because I'm supposedly meant to be the expert they come to for advice but we have a young producer who has a very tight deadline and they, they worked incredibly hard they wake up really early in the morning and so there's so much pressure on them to pump out stuff that people are really going to be interested in. And what are they interested in? Hard and fast, black and white rules, like this food is bad and this food is good and this is how many calories you're allowed. And so they don't actually pump out the stuff that is what's in our best interest. They pump out the stuff that is going to get eyeballs and going to get clicks and going to get advertising. And that is the nature of health media. And I think it's really important to notice that. One of the things I've noticed is also how a a food myth can perpetuate because we have journalists who have really tight deadlines. Let's say they put something out there. Um, they speak to an expert, so-called expert. I mean, ex what makes an expert an expert these days? It could be someone who did a, a 10 week course studying nutrition and they decide to call themselves a hormone expert, whatever the hell that is. And suddenly they're quoted in this article. The next journalist comes along with an incredibly tight deadline. Once again, they maybe have a couple of hours to turn around an online publication to, to pump out another article and they've got quotas of how many articles they need to pump out every day. They come around, they pull out these quotes. They don't go back to the source. They don't go back to like fact check with as many people as they possibly could, like the heyday of journalism. They simply try and get the content out there. And this is how we end up getting hundreds of articles perpetuating something that isn't correct. But after we've seen it hundreds of times, it starts to become accepted as this is nutrition fact, even though it isn't the case. And so you kind of have to be really aware of this idea that firstly, more nutrition information isn't a good thing. I think we generally have a sense of how we should be eating to feel good. We know it includes fruits and vegetables and carbohydrates and, and you know, a nice balance of everything. And I think any more than that is really just filling our brain with these contradictory messages that make it so much harder for us to make food decisions that serve us really well and to have food freedom. Mm. How can we begin to have like a self-trust and to just have that acceptance around food and like food positivity? 
Oh, I, I think it's something that we build up over time. I think especially as you're starting out, I think we have this idea, let's say you're coming from an eating disorder or disordered eating, you're never going to like flick a switch and in 12 weeks time suddenly have food freedom. It's something that slowly you accumulate over time. So especially with something like binge eating, what you might notice is that you might get so you've been eating once a day, once a, once a day, you might find once a week you had one binge free day. And that was a bit more of a glimmer of food freedom. And okay, that, that was interesting. Then we become curious about, well, what did I do to allow that for that food freedom? Maybe I allowed myself to eat more than what I thought I needed to eat. So I wasn't ravenously hungry. And that kind of, that was really helpful. And I th- think something that we can all start doing is create a note in your, in your, on your phone called food freedom. And every time you find a strategy that you go, okay, well, that helped me feel more free and flexible and intuitive with food, then write it down. I think we think we're going to remember these things. We don't <laughs> because diets are incredibly powerful and alluring. So let's say the your eating disorder voice comes back and they, they, they start asking questions again. We come back to this list and we go, okay, well, actually, no, these are the things. The eating disorder is not correct. These are the things I know work for us. But noticing that this, these tiny moments of progress toward food freedom is how we're going to get there, that it isn't going to happen overnight. You know, maybe after a few weeks, you're now having a couple more days of food freedom in the week or um, less blips of, of disordered eating. And then eventually for me, it took me, I'd say four years before I was at a point where I had full food freedom. And, you know, it's a constant journey. It's a bit like, you know, loving your body isn't you never really arrive because when you live in this world, that's constantly telling you you're not thin or pretty or good enough. You're going to have bad body image days. And if you think about body image and body love and acceptance and respect, it's a practice. It's not a destination. So it's a constant reminding ourselves of these things because we're constantly being bombarded with all these food rules and diet nonsense. So we have to kind of stick true to our values, which is as you, as you so rightly said, curating that feed of who we're allowing to infiltrate our brain, who we follow on social media, what we're allowing to to make up our food thoughts. That is a really important thing to try and manage. Sometimes it's not our social media feed, it's our family, which I have talked about. And they might require some conversations to have with people so that you're creating your own food environment at home that doesn't feel judgmental. Um, Because, you know, you could have a an auntie or a mom who's constantly talking about calories and weight and it can be quite hard when you live live like that what's your relationship like now with your mom does she understand you know with your platform and everything that you have a different perspective (laughs) oh my my mom has multiple times apologized for what happened as I was growing up and I think we've talked openly about how she was really just trying to do her best and she had her own food things that she was working through and still is working through. I can't say she's arrived at a certain destination yet, but it's still, she has come a huge way in her relationship with food. And we have a really clear relationship for now when it comes to food, where I have very clearly for the last uh, 10 years, been really clear about the fact that I don't tolerate conversations around calories or diets I don't I don't tolerate comments about my weight other people's weight we just don't engage on that those conversations now because I'm a professional in this area if my mom never wants advice about how she would have more body a more positive body image these are lovely conversations that we are able to have now 
I think, I think though, having empathy for your parents in the situation that they were in can help remove that anger, which can help you see that them commenting on your body isn't a reflection on your body or whether or not you're lovable. It's a reflection of their relationship with their body and their food. And it's, it's, it's purely that it is their insecurities. And it's, I'm sorry that you have to be the collateral damage in that situation, but if you can see it for what it is, I think that's really helpful. And isn't that the thing, you know, people who are insecure, they often, um, they're most critical about the thing that they are most insecure about. Yeah, that's definitely true. And there's so much misinformation out there. Like it's just, they've been exposed to these ideas that, oh, restriction is going to easily cause weight loss, no psychological consequences. It's going to be great. She's going to feel loved and supported. And it's like, no, it does the opposite. It drives you to like body like shame and food shame and just it's a kind of a catalyst in a way of like mental health (laughs) (laughs) yeah it almost like diet should come with a disclaimer as you said like just yeah before you have to start it it has to you know they have to know you have to sign up to all the this will likely lead to weight gain it'll lead to all these like psychological issues do you agree are you still willing to pay us five hundred dollars for the privilege catalyst triggers for a lot of eating disorders yeah it is so how could food freedom maybe help your relationship with your food with food and your body I think it should be fundamentally it's such a big goal I think it's life-changing because allow it and it's a scary thing to do food freedom I just want to say like I think we have this idea that so if, if the opposite of food freedom are diet rules and trying to control what we eat and um, having all these limits and restrictions. I think we have a sense that these diet rules and restrictions help us eat healthily. We have that illusion that, well, if I didn't stick to correct portion size, if I didn't reduce how many carbs I have to a certain amount, if I didn't track this element, I, I'd lose control around food. I would be incredibly unhealthy. Would, everything would spiral out of control. And interestingly, it's the exact opposite thing that happens when we're trying to control with all these diet rules and whatever, this is when we lose control around food, that actually we have so much more control and so much more peace with food when we, when we do the exact opposite, when we adopt food freedom as our, as our primary objective. Um, and so I think it's kind of like this idea of like, if you eliminate a food, this is the very food that you're going to crave. You're going to, not only are you going to crave it, but when you finally get access to it, you're going to want to eat so much of it because it's so highly interesting and exciting to your body. So I think to attain food freedom, which is essential, we need to actually come to the point where we realize these diet rules, they're not helping us be healthy and they're not helping us weigh less diet rules worked wouldn't you have been at your goal weight by now wouldn't you have felt peace around food by now wouldn't you have reached a certain you know (laughs) moments but for most of my clients they've been dieting for a decade or multiple decades and they're going I'm still fighting the same old issues I've always been fighting that's because you you almost need to do the exact opposite of what you're being taught in diet world um I know for myself once I got to this point after a decade of of I had, I had listened to all the food rules. I had, I had been such a good girl. I was diligent. I was so dedicated to dieting. And here I was 
hating my body more than I'd ever hated myself, completely controlled by food thoughts. And at 21, I got to this point where I was like, I could see the trajectory. I know if I keep on this pathway that all the advice is telling me, I'm going to end up in a place I don't want to be. So I thought, well, what if I do the exact opposite, which was not weighing myself, not eating according to rules, eating what my body felt like, which was exactly was food freedom. I was doing it without even realizing that I was doing it. And that's when my life transformed. And it was scary because I was like, well, what if I gain all this weight? And if I don't control things, I'm going to you know, spiral. But I didn't. In fact, all that happened is there was more inner peace. And slowly my weight stopped feeling like it was this big problem. My eating was kind of a whole lot more calm and I had so much more food freedom. And I think it's a really scary thing to do, especially because having, you know, the eating disorder voice or disordered eating voice, it can be so fun. And I think, I think that's something that we often don't talk about enough is this idea that actually it's a hard thing to give up because when you're in that high, the high of like, you know, you're on it, you're listening to that voice. It's, it's telling you all these things. There's a certain addiction to, to being in that. And so you almost have to give, you have to be willing to give up that thing that, that can sometimes bring you joy and realize that it's just a temporary illusionary joy that actually that voice isn't guiding you. But I think to recognize that it, you know, there is something you enjoy about it and then to accept that you're willing to let go of that, I think that can be quite helpful. Mm. Especially if you start to notice what everybody else is eating. You know, if you're going to go to an Italian restaurant, everyone there isn't ordering the salad. Like everyone is living a very happy life, ordering whatever they want, choosing the different things. Like not everyone goes out and just gets a salad everywhere. Like that's just not, you don't have to be like that to live a normal happy life. Amen. And it's the, it's the difference in going to a restaurant and being like, okay, I'm going to order the healthiest thing on the menu. What's the healthiest thing on the menu? Um, and you might go, well, the salad, the salad's the healthiest thing on the menu. And this is so different from, you know, a food freedom approach, which you go, you turn up and you go, well, okay, how, um, what do I feel like eating? What would bring me joy? Uh, what will make me feel good afterwards? How hungry am I? You're asking these questions, trying to like ask your body, what does it need? What's going to feel good? You might end up choosing the salad or you might end up getting the pizza. It doesn't matter. The point is, it is so much so different from this sense of control where you have to use this willpower and self-control to try and get there. Actually, if you just allowed yourself to eat what you wanted, I think there's a fear that I will just eat whatever. Like I, I, I won't, I'll go rampaging and I'll like face plant into the pantry and I'll never be able to stop. And perhaps temporarily that does happen when you're coming out of kind of like that intense disorder phase, but eventually it does calm down. You do have so much more peace and control and you actually find that you don't lose control around food because you have given yourself that full permission. And that's when you turn up to the restaurant and you go, what do I actually feel like? And it could be the salad or it could be the pizza. Yes. I actually find when you do have food freedom, it's more like exciting about what you're going to have the next day. Like you might be going to like Italian or Mexican or like there's always new days full of new things. Like you kind of get a bit over the food you've been eating because if you want to eat the same thing every day, then you can. And then you just want to eat something different the next. Like because you have that freedom, you genuinely would desire less. Like you just want to try everything and explore things and like even like going to restaurants and new desserts and things like I'm not likely to be like, I need to go back to this restaurant and eat that exact same dessert every day because I'm, I love it. Like you can, but 
you just you go oh tomorrow I want like something different totally and it's only because you know you can that that freedom happens and fundamentally it's that belief that anytime I want this food I can have it I can have more now I can have more later it is always allowed for me this is directly in contrast with the diet thinking which says I can only have one more block I can only have one more square all right I'm just going to finish this packet and there's no more of it you can see how that thinking is really much triggering the out of control eating which is the opposite of that food freedom, which is I can eat as much as I need. And then you go, oh, actually, well, because it's always allowed, I'll, I'll, I'll eat it later. And that is perhaps the most important reminder you can give myself yourself is anytime I want this food, I can eat it. I can eat it more now. I can eat more later. It is always available to me. And there's also a lot of anxiety and stress involved in that as well. Like if you haven't given yourself all for also like adequate nutrients or something, you're more likely to like binge on like chocolate or something. But if you're like, oh, I want to eat a full meal, then have chocolate or I want to have chocolate. Now I want a meal because I'm still hungry. Then you're more likely to have like a balanced relationship with it. Mm. I think there's a lot of rules around how much, how our appetite should function. I hear a lot of people who say to me, I shouldn't be that hungry. There's something wrong with my appetite. I just feel like I'm hungry all the time and I can't stop eating. And I think we have this idea that how much you should be eating is like a 1200 calorie diet, which is really just a starvation diet. And no wonder you'd be hungry because you're fundamentally under eating. So, um, in, in my book, Your Weight is Not the Problem, I talk about this, this idea called the hierarchy of healthy habits. And fundamentally, what we need to do is we need to make sure we're getting our basic needs on that bottom level of the hierarchy sorted before we're adding in higher level needs. And on that bottom level of basic needs is eating enough food. So when we're scared that our appetite is out of control, chances are it's not out of control. You're just not eating enough. You're not eating enough of the right kinds of foods that are truly satisfying and you're not eating enough volume. Um, there's kind of this index that they did. They looked at um, foods that are truly satisfying and what they found is that satisfying foods, often things like potato and pasta and whole grains and so often these are the foods that diet culture tells us we're not allowed to eat. These are foods that when we eat them, we feel truly satisfied by that meal. And so it makes sense then that the very foods that we're fearing, that we're trying to cut out of our diet are leading us to finish a meal, not feeling satisfied. We then blame ourselves as opposed to realizing we just needed to add some potato <laughs> and being okay to eat more and knowing that actually in the long term, it's going to serve us so much more. Yes, that's the thing. It's like the demonization of carbs. But for me, I eat predominantly carbs like you're saying feel satisfied and if I need to eat a lot more one day than the next that's because I'm hungrier that day and then your body naturally just levels out with its cues and what you want and what your body needs like you may have had certain nutrients the day before like you, your body does have its own mechanisms if you trust it and eat enough you know like eat enough now so you're not hungry later like sometimes you need to eat more than what you actually like what you're hungry for because maybe you're not going to eat later like because you're out or something like sometimes you can even go beyond yes I, I it's spot on and I think sometimes this idea of intuitive eating can become a food rule in and of itself where people are like well I can only eat when I'm hungry 
no <laughs> use your hun- hunger as a guide allow it to help inform how you eat but no it can't just become yet another food rule another thing that you can fail at it's another thing that like you feel like you've messed up um sometimes you're it's it's an it's an imperfect way to be and sometimes you'll eat preemptively and sometimes you'll eat more than you planned and that is perfectly okay and that's that's food freedom yeah, and people don't usually eat dessert when they're hungry. No, no one, no one's had cake. I'm really hungry. I need to get the dessert. Usually, it's like I really want the dessert. <laughs> so, why should you reinvent your relationship with food so that it allows for food freedom? Oh, so much, so many reasons, so many reasons. Well, firstly, you just find that you have so much more time in your life, like <laughs> time to think about other things. And, and it's almost like, interestingly, the more energy we spend on trying to like fix our food, the more fixated we become, the harder it becomes to actually do things that make our body feel good. Um, and I think we have this idea that the more we think about it, the easier it is. And the opposite is true. Um, we should be doing it, you know, working on food freedom for ourselves, for our families, so that, you know, if you've got children, you're passing on that healthy relationship with food. Um, So your life is not limited. So you can do things like exercise intuitively as well, which is an idea we don't really talk about. Um, There are so many kinds of articles published about which exercise is going to burn the most calories or, you know, you should be doing this exercise is best for your cardiovascular health the best exercise for you is the one that you really enjoy. And we should be doing it intuitively in a way that's like, well, how much energy do I have today? What does feel going to feel really good for me today? If your body is feeling niggly, it's a sign that actually maybe we're more prone to being injured. And we should be listening to our body as opposed to being like, well, this is the protocol and this is what I have to stick to. We have to be okay to listen to those different varying energy levels in our lives so we can exercise more intuitively and, and coming back to energy. Now that I'm a mother, I feel like energy is the main metric that I play in. It is the most important thing because I define my health based on my BMI, based on my weight for so many years. Obviously I very much scrapped that now. Thank goodness. Energy is the way that I look and I see my health. Do I wake up with energy? Do I have the energy and the stamina to do the things I love? Uh, Do I go to bed at night feeling at peace with myself? These are really important things to me. And when we have food freedom, we find we have so much more energy to live our life to. And I think that is truly the, the way to being healthy. I love that. Yeah, I really check in with my body as well with like intuitive exercise because I only do like moderate yoga and like mat Pilates, but I'm very much like if if I'm tired, I'm not doing it, even though it's like moderate and whatnot. I listen to my body or I'm like, you know what? I want to eat food instead. Like I want to go eat more food or I want to get extra than I would usually would have or whatnot. But then I still just, yeah, I just go with, with what I'm intuitively feeling. Yeah, I think that is such a beautiful point. Uh, we so often have such a high standard for what we consider health to be. Um, perfectionism is really closely re- related with procrastination um, because perfectionism tells us if I can't do something perfectly, then there's no point in doing it at all. And, and so we set these very lofty targets when it comes to our health where we're like, well, I have to go for a run just going for a walk doesn't count or going to a yin yoga doesn't count as movement or absolutely counts as movement. And I think what the health world has done is whittled down healthy habits into like a calorie metric being like, well, if it doesn't burn as many calories, 
and there's no point in doing it. It's a waste of time, blah, 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 blah. There's so many benefits to gently moving your body, to just turning up, to just going for a walk, for going to that slow yoga class where you fall asleep and have a lovely nap in Shavasana. There are so many benefits. And when we're simply looking at something from um, calories in, calories out, and all that kind of nonsense, we are missing the myriad of health benefits that come from doing these lovely habits and, and the flow on effect. So could it improve how well you're sleeping and your mood and how you're feeling and your energy and in your body and the way that your body functions. And it honestly, it flows on in so many ways that we have to stop thinking that healthy eating is this perfect 5am wake up with a crop top, drinking a green juice nonsense you don't have to sell your kidney in order to be able to afford fancy superfoods. <laughs> it's none of that. Real health is, as I said, having the energy to do the things you love, falling asleep, feeling at peace with yourself. Um, and I think that is the metrics I want us all to be using. And it's finding your own unique version of like quality of life, food freedom, your relationship with your body and food. Like I've just never really believed the calories in calories out thing because I eat so much food. I just can't believe it. I'm like, I just, there's no point. It would just be, just be a very high number. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, it's just, it's just not accurate. Like, especially if you're eating, like, let's say you eat more so like healthy quote unquote food some days or something like it's just your body, how it uses it. It's just not the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, calorie science is an incredibly inaccurate science i'm doing commas there um it's incredibly inaccurate because how many calories your body will actually absorb and and contain and retain and utilize is so variable um and the current methods of measuring calories is like it just shows us we literally cannot predict it that anyone who's arguing that they could tell you how many calories you burn, they have zero idea how many calories you burn that, um, that really truly your appetite is the best guidance of that. And we, we shouldn't be listening to outdated advice, like eat, eat fewer calories and try harder. <laughs> exactly. It's all like estimations and everyone has different body composition, different height, different genetics. It's just so varied. Yeah, the weather. The weather impacts how many calories you burn. Really, there's just so many variables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did you want to speak a little bit about your new fantastic book? Uh, I would, because I'm incredibly proud of it. I I would like if anything I've said today is at all has it all resonated with you. I think you're really going to enjoy reading this book. It's called Your Weight Is Not the Problem, and it talks about how the real problem is our hyperfixation on trying to weigh less and how this has so many more impacts that are negative in our life. But beyond that, it takes you then and goes, well, what do we do about it? How do we start adding in healthy habits and make our body feel good? And that's kind of the goal there, not some kind of arbitrary measure of what health looks like, but what does it look like for you? And it's teaching you how to tune in more, to be more intuitive with yourself and with your body in a way that's actually sustainable and doable. I'm not promising anyone quick fixes. Um, I don't believe in any 12 week <laughs> challenge bullshit. I am a dietitian and nutritionist and I'm someone who's got a, a learned experience with disordered eating and in clinical practice for many, many years. So everything I've, I, I've basically taken everything I've learned that I wish I knew when I was a 15 year old girl and I've, con I've distilled it into this book that I wish everyone would read. And I, I really hope you do get a chance to get your hands on, on the copy of the book and the book is available 
um, from everywhere that good book retailers are stocking books. Um, and also if you, if you do get the book or if you want to listen more, you can also find me on my podcast. My podcast is called No Wellness Wankery because there's a hell of a lot of nutrition nonsense out there. So I help you wade through like what's, what should you be listening to? What is fact and how do we do this in a way that actually benefits our body without getting caught up in the nonsense and of course, if you're on social media and you're looking for a positive influence, someone who's not going to fill your feed with bikini body photos or before and after stuff or detox nonsense, then please follow me on Instagram. I'm nude underscore nutritionist, giving you a whole dose of body image support and lovely, delicious food ideas that don't feel crazy or restrictive or too hard. Yeah. And Instagram pages like yours definitely make you feel more motivated and supported and just like, they're just a nice daily dose of like positivity. <laughs> well, I think, I think, what, you know, with, with the, thank you. I feel with most influencers, what they're selling, they're selling you this, this version of health that's very idealized or they're selling you beauty. You know what they really are. Is they're just a really, they're a beautiful person and they're taking photos of themselves when they look really beautiful. I'm like, what are you really selling me? Whereas the thing that I'm I guess the thing I, I sell is I sell confidence. I want you to like yourself. That is fundamental to me and everything that I want for you. Um, you know, I think about New Year's resolutions a lot. And there was one year where I spent an entire year being kind to myself, just forgiving myself for mistakes that I made, for listening to my body and what it needed. And, and I think what if we had better New Year's resolutions like that, where like being kind to ourselves was the very thing we focused on and now in my life regardless of how many books I've written or whatever things I've had outward accomplishments the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that I I like who I am and I like my mistakes and I like you know the way I do them and I think that is will always be the most profound thing that I ever accomplish in my life and I think to live in that space every day is like the real treasure at the end of the rainbow yeah Exactly. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you weigh. If you like who you are, it's um, unconditional confidence. Yes. And happiness and fulfillment as well. You know, you're just a lot more content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything you're doing, you're not overthinking. You know, you can eat anything you want and you just don't, you don't even think about, you forget. I don't know what I ate for breakfast. Oh, that's divine. That's so divine. I wish everyone was like that. That's, that's, that's the goal. Everyone deserves to, to have food freedom. You can get there. I know like even like you said, it took you four years and even though it could be scary for some people at four years, it can actually get to a point where it's not scary at four years. Yeah. I mean, even after a week, you're mm-hmm. already going to be in a vastly better position yeah. after a month, six months. It just gets better. Diets are really easy to get started and they get harder and harder to maintain over the long term. Food freedom doing what we're talking about this is the exact opposite the hardest part is getting started it gets easier and easier as you go and I think that's what's really alluring and appealing about it It truly is sustainable but the scariest thing is taking that leap of faith and being like well this is counter to everything I've ever been told and it's scary and I like kind of the control the sense of control that I have but if it really worked wouldn't you have gotten to the outcome that you wanted by now it's time to try a new approach a kinder approach a gentler approach that actually has a lot more sustainability and a lot more joy for you, which is what you truly deserve. And just, yeah, start to choose what you want, you know, take the small steps and go, actually, I want this, like find what you like. Yeah, exactly. What is What, what makes your body feel good? Not, not what some health guru is telling you you should be eating. <laughs> 
So thank you so much for this interview, Lindy. It's been wonderful. Thanks, Jesse. It's been divine. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.